everyone and welcome back to Haunted History Chronicles. Before we introduce today's podcast or guest, if you like this podcast, please consider leaving a review. It costs nothing, but it helps share news of the podcast and guests I feature with others interested within the paranormal. It's a simple and easy way to help the podcast continue to grow and be a space for people to chat and come together. If you haven't already found us on the Haunted History Chronicles website, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find links to all social media pages in any of the notes for an episode. Come and join us to get involved and gain access to additional blogs, news and updates. And now, let's get started introducing today's episode. Caroline is the lead investigator and case handler for the group she runs in Somerset, the Somerset Paranormal Investigators UK. She currently has 17 members apart from herself, all of which bring an individual expertise to the team. Caroline also currently sits within the Association for Scientific Studies into Anomalous Phenomena, or ASAP as it's known. She is also the National Register of Professional Investigators lead and spontaneous case handler for ASAP. Caroline's passion, ethics, knowledge and experience really are incredible and her experience as an investigator as well as her roles within ASAP and the NRPI made for a fantastic discussion alongside some real cases and investigations that Caroline has conducted with her team. So get comfortable and let's meet Caroline. Hi Caroline, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Hi Michelle, thank you very much for asking me. Would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? So my name is Caroline McKendrick. I live in Somerset, um, currently run a local group called Somerset Paranormal Investigators UK. Um, we have a strong team of seven um, people that work in, in the team with me. Um, and I'm also the lead role for cases, spontaneous cases that come in to ASAP through the NRPI, which is the National Register of Professional Investigators. I'm the case handler there, so anything new that comes in, I triage, I find the um, suitable person within the NRPI um, trained trainers, and then I, I give them the work and the case for them to investigate. ASAP is one of those organisations that does an incredible amount that maybe not everyone is really fully aware of in terms of um, the types of material that it hosts, the webinars that are available, support for people maybe trying to get involved with the paranormal and find out further research, just start that journey and that path. But also if there's maybe someone looking for support, if they're, if they're experiencing something and looking for some guidance, you know, there's so many things that it does. Do you want to just kind of tell us a little bit more about ASAP and like I said some of the things that it does and how people could use it? Sure, so ASAP was um, a sister organisation that's come from the SPR, so the Society of um, Parapsychical Research. It um, came around in the 80s, I think it was 1984 that it was invented um, and brought about. It was after one of the famous cases um, that the SPR had handled and then they decided they wanted to stick more to research 
rather than the cases. So they um, did this offshoot with, I think it was Michael Benteen, who was the first person who brought it in, into its being. And um, ASAPS was invented to take on cases and also as a learned society to help to educate people. Um, for those of you that don't know, ASAP is the Association of Scientific Studies into Anomalous Phenomena. And you think that's difficult to say. It's difficult definitely for me to say and to think about it in advance. Um, I always get that one as a tongue twister and I, and I always fail generally, but tonight I got it right. So ASAP, you can join for as little as £5 a year for a single person and that's on an electronic um, join up membership. And then you can join for £20 for a paper membership, as they call that. So all of the magazines and all of the printed articles that you would get in the year would come through the post rather than the electronic form that you would have for the £5 a year. If you wanted a couple's membership that lived in the same house together, that's also £20. It doesn't go up for having more than one in, in a house. And with that, you get access to all of the training materials, the training opportunities that might come about with the NRPI. Um, the, that does have an added cost to it. It's, it's minimal, it's just to cover costs. If you wanted to go through the training side and become uh, an official affiliated trainer or group. With the membership, you also get your weekly webinars and people who are known in the field of the paranormal give um, fabulous talks each week. Um, that's on a Thursday night at seven o'clock. What else do you get for money? You get access to all of the articles in the website. There's a members area you can access. So past papers, history, um, information. You could maybe borrow some books from the library as well that one of our gents called Bill Eyre looks after. It's it's a phenomenal association and it's somewhere to go for somebody who doesn't know a lot about the paranormal. It's a good way in to get the correct information given to you. You see so many of these groups about nowadays that um, claim that they have demons in their house because someone's caught a light anomaly, which is probably just a, an insect or dust. Um, and it doesn't give the correct educational outlook to what these phenomena is that you can spot with your own eyes and on your, on your own cameras in your own home. So if you want to learn and understand better, ASAP's a great door for you to open. There's a, a website that you can have a look at. You don't have to be a member to get into, just have a look at the basic stuff. And also there's a Facebook group. Anybody can join the group. And there's posts um, daily that are updated, maybe about 10 a day. And um, there's discussions and there's um, lots of questions that you can ask people on ASAP's Facebook group. And, you know, it's it really is a fabulous research tool and aid and so many other things. And for somebody who really is starting that journey or partway through that journey exploring uh, the paranormal, it's a fabulous resource. And like you said, all too often, there isn't enough information out there. If we look at what's put up on the television screens, you know, what we see all the time when it comes to people investigating, that's not necessarily authentic. It's not necessarily helpful. And it can it can make it actually very difficult, I think, sometimes to then add credibility to what people are really trying to do when it comes to research, investigating, documenting, bringing together evidence and trying to formulate 
possible theories, arguments, discussions around what's happening and so on. And, and so this is a great route into that, I think, for somebody really very much interested in starting or who's on that journey through exploring the paranormal. But likewise, as I said at the start, for somebody maybe who is looking for some assistance, this is where they can also go, where they know they're going to get someone who really is going to take what they're saying seriously and look at what's happening and support them in the way that maybe they wouldn't necessarily get if they were just getting help from somebody who maybe isn't kind of researching and documenting in the same way that you are really, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're somebody who's taking the pathway of a paranormal investigator yourself and you're starting out, probably where your journey will start would be urban exploring, getting to grips with, um, you know, trying to follow what you see on TV. If you think that you'd like to get a little bit more serious, um, ASAP is obviously somewhere that I would recommend fully. Um, the webinars give you so much information. Um, they share their experiences. It's not all educated. So um, it's, it's not gonna come from a, a, a university kind of level talk all the time. A lot of it is personal experiences. Myself, I do talks on Somerset ghosts and I tend to give specific experiences that I've had and investigations and research that I've done. So that's my favourite thing. And then we have other people that might look into cryptozoology, which is the Bigfoots of the world and the animals that people don't understand that may exist in deepest, darkest Amazon. Um, somebody might talk on poltergeists. So you really do get a very varied um, talk. And again, I think that's why it's such a phenomenal resource because, you know, you are getting that variety. It's not specific to just one aspect of parapsychology. You know, you're getting that full spectrum. So people really can broaden maybe their perspective of what the field is as well um, as the areas that they're interested in. Absolutely. And the level that it's aimed at isn't like I say, university. So, you know, you're not having to open up Google Scholar to find out what it is that people are saying. But what you you are, you're getting it given to you on layman's terms. Um, people aim it in the right um, the level for people who would be across the board. So if you're new, you know, you won't feel overwhelmed. Um, and if you're somebody who's quite educated within the paranormal um, field, then obviously you're going to find that that's going to be something of interest to you as well. Obviously, you're very passionate about exploring the paranormal. Where did this start from? What, what was it that got you started on this journey? I'm sure anybody else who's heard podcasts or interviews or documentaries of, um, of from me before are probably bored of hearing the same story. When I was about 10, Michelle, I lived in Weymouth in Dorset, and my parents bought this big, huge, four-floored Victorian bedroom um, house with 16 bedrooms. And from the minute that we moved in, odd stuff started happening. But being 10, I kind of didn't understand what was going on. Doors would open, blankets would fall out of cupboards and, you know, fall out of considerable distance. So like four or five feet into the room, plugs would switch themselves off at the wall. You'd hear noises and bangs and taps. You'd see something. My mother used to see this Victorian lady in full Victorian long dress on a regular basis. I didn't see anything, but I had lots of experiences. Um, being woken up in the middle of the night with some 
disembodied entity shouting my name over and over again was pretty terrifying. So I wanted to know what happened and what was going on. And that house in Weymouth was the start of my journey. And it is usually something, just an event, something like that in a location that usually triggers most people's experiences of wanting to then continue to explore the paranormal. I think, you know, when you ask people, it's usually something from childhood or maybe when they're a little bit older and then suddenly they just want to keep going, don't they, and keep exploring. Absolutely. Uh, and I had to live in that house for a good four or five years before we moved to the next property. We still owned that one at the same time. My parents turned it into a nursing home. So I was kind of glad when we moved out and also a little bit sad at the same time because it was such a spectacular property. It was enormous, especially when you're 10. Probably wouldn't be so enormous now, but um, I have fond memories of that place. It, I don't look back and feel terrified, although I remember the moments that I was. Um, so when we moved to another house, it became more of a home rather than a business, but it still intrigued me and I would go back and visit and go back and have a look at the rooms that caused the activity when I used to live there. And you mentioned at the start that you're very much involved in the Somerset group. What kinds of locations have you explored across Somerset? Oh, my head's going to explode trying to, to think of them. We've been incredibly lucky. I have a very good communication um, skills with venues that when I go and I explain what we want to do and how we can help them and the direction that we're coming from, and it's not um, going to be these thrill seekers it's more of a research project we have some amazing properties that open up to us but as the lead investigator what I like to do is to find places that have never been investigated before and it gives us a blank canvas so that we can take the history do the research and then start laying down um, the paranormal history that goes alongside that and um, I've, I've found that every venue that's allowed us to um, have access is, has been incredibly good to work with. They're very open and interested in the research side of it as well and the historic side. Um, I've been working a lot with a chap from Radio 4, BBC Radio 4, and we're looking at historic haunted corners. So there's a lot of that. He's called Luke. You can have a look on the sound, BBC Sound and see some of the historic um, information and research that I've done on properties. Recently, in the last few months, we have had such a varied um, amount that's open to us. We're talking the joke shop in Yeovil, so um, the Mad Hatter it's called. Um, it's the first time anyone was ever allowed in to investigate. It's never been allowed before. And we've been trying for years to get in. And I decided to go and have a chat with this guy, the owner, and lo and behold, we were allowed in. And we had Luke, the BBC, with us at the same time, so we could do the proper historic research for the History Corner. And then we go to private houses a lot. We've got a huge amount of cases that come in, sometimes so many, that I have to pass them on to reliable people that I know in other groups. There's um, people that I work very closely up in Stoke, near Manchester kind of way. So he, he gets a few cases that I don't have time to deal with. I then give some to ASAP through the NRPI for them to deal with. But if it's local to us here and um, I've got some time because we uh, currently now we've got five cases that we're running 
um, which are long term. One of them is pretty high end activity. So um, and that involves two to three members of the team that will go regularly to visit, record, take um, equipment so that we can record things that's going on. Then the case owners also send us information on a regular basis. We have weekly updates for the cases and we try and find some kind of historical um, history research for that as well. Obviously, I can't go into too much um details at the moment but Taunton seems to be a hub for paranormal activity at the moment in Somerset. Um, we've got three cases in Taunton alone and then we've had quite a few in Yeovil going on as well so that's the things that we do within the group and we also run events for venues that come to us for members of the public to come along and experience a night of paranormal research um, within the venue so um, that usually involves 20 to 30 people depending on the size of the venue and we have a meal so it's it's a, a really nice opportunity to sit and chat to people of like-mindedness and we share experiences and after that we then investigate the the venue so and that normally is from about seven o'clock to one o'clock in the morning and those types of things are great for those venues to help support them, isn't it? But also for the people able to go and enjoy them, it's just a great opportunity to network and to have the chance, like you said, to to talk with people who are like minded and to share and collaborate, which sometimes there isn't enough of that, I think, within the field. Um, so, you know, the, the more that that kind of happens, I think, is for the better, really. Absolutely. I mean, we fell into this. We have put events on previously and in the, in the previous group that we ran. Um, but when we got together, there was a few of us that came from the old group into my group. And, and we we started to run these events, but it was purely to pay for the insurance so that we could go and help members of the public in their own home. And it would pay for that and pay for our travel and subsistence because we don't charge to go into people's homes. There's no costs that's applicable to anybody. So running one of these events, the venue would take half of the ticket price. We would take half and it would subsidize for any new equipment like cameras and recording equipment that we needed to buy. We became inundated with requests to continue um, from the venues. And we kind of fell into this once a month and it was only supposed to be um, a few a month, but we tend to sell out fairly quickly for the events that we run. Which I think is a real sign that obviously what you're doing is something that people are really enjoying. It's resonating. And, you know, I think when you have that opportunity to go and experience an evening like that, where you really do get to see that research side, that documentation side, um, rather than it being, like you mentioned, something of a, a thrill-seeking type nature. I mm. think people can really see how very different it is to some of the things that we see on television with people running around shrieking and saying everything is a demon, which is not not the world of the paranormal that you know we should really be thinking of, I think. Well, definitely not on this side of the pond anyway, but um, I think that tends to be more the Americanisms of the entertainment side of the paranormal. It, it hasn't kind of stretched this far. I think if you have a new series of um, ghost hunters, I think that's what it's called, we tend to get a lot more phone calls um, through to the group and more emails saying, I think I've got a demon in my house, where I quite quickly try to reassure them that it's probably not a demon, but we would 
happily chat, you know, and have an interview. And if it was something that we deemed to be of, of interest for us attending to help them, then obviously we would make a follow up appointment to go and see them. And I just love that, you know, what you're doing is going into some untapped locations, you know, not maybe um, the places that everybody knows and is familiar with, but places really unexplored like you mentioned just this blank canvas and that could be someone's property or a location that you want to get into that maybe is part of the community but to be able to go in and really study that location and in some cases like you are repeatedly to gather up that data and collect that evidence over a period of time it's phenomenal as a, as a collective body of work then to represent findings thoughts, theories, things that have happened, encounters, experiences, all of the above. You know, that's an incredible, incredible amount of research and, and evidence then that you've got across lots of different sites. I think so. And it is very important that you maintain that integrity of that building. We don't necessarily want to take information from mediums, for example, that can come in and say, well, I can feel John because on a night of where we run an event, for example, in, in a clear canvas type venue, we could have three to four mediums. And if they're all coming up with a different name and it's not substantiated, then that's not a proven fact. Um, and we try not to put too much weight into things um, that people say, well, I can feel a John. Unless we get an EVP or unless I've got the history sat in front of me and I can see the census, and it says, you know, very clearly, John was an owner and three of the generations of the family were John. You know, if she's picking up on a John, that could be probable um, because you've got the evidence based things that go along with the with her feelings and thoughts. And that then substantiates it. But um, we like to have something like history or a clear voice on an EVP saying my name is John. And believe you me, that can happen occasionally which is phenomenal when that happens, when you get multiple things kind of coming together at the same time and almost verifying something else. That's the, the magical moment, isn't it? When, when it's not just one thing in isolation, it seems to be something across more than one evidence type based thing. Well, I'll tell you a little thing that happened as well as going to clear canvas places um, that's never been investigated. The team and I do like to go to the bigger places that are well known. And Jamaica Inn has been one of our favourites so far. We were down there, I think it was last February. So almost, um, no, this, this February. So it was almost a year ago. And I was reviewing some of the um, audio and video footage for Corinne Besant yesterday. And we had some incredible stuff coming through. We do this experiment that um, it has evolved and we call it the phone to phone experiment where you get two mobile phones, put them both on loudspeaker and put one in one room on its own when nobody's there and listen to stuff coming through on the phone in the other room. But we've kind of changed it up a bit and we put white noise in that room as well. Somehow adding the addition to white noise increases activity that we get through. But because it's phone to phone you can't really hear that white noise but obviously something's feeding on that energy and it's generating so in the Jamaica Inn on the lower peg they call it and the upper pegs so that's the lower restaurant and the upper restaurant we had the two phones total opposite ends of the building so that they were as far away from possible not to have feedback 
we were getting this musical instrument come through and it sounded like a 16, 1700s musical instrument. So it was a little bit like a lyre or a harpsichord or something along those lines. And the first time it happened was 23 seconds into setting this experiment up. And I went, what, what the hell was that? And um, one of my team said, oh my God, what was that? And then we had this voice come through that said, that was Jack. And I didn't hear that at the time. And I only heard that yesterday. So I now know that one of the alleged main paranormal ghost spirits that attends the Jamaica Inn is supposed to be this um, gentleman, Jack. So I, I hadn't heard that before because we don't always review the stuff there and then at the time. But reviewing it yesterday to get this musical interaction, you know, there was a very clear audible EVP that says that was Jack. That is incredible. I'm going to have to talk to Corinne about that. <laughs> well, what was more incredible that my partner had a guitar tuning instrument app on his phone and he was asking the musical instrument to play chords in a certain like can you play me an a chord and they played the musical instrument and it resonated with the app and said you've got an a chord that is incredible that is really phenomenal well she's not heard of any musical instruments or anything but um one when she was going back uh, through the history books that she's been given recently there was something about a musical instrument that was heard in um, one of the bars or one of the restaurants. So there, there is a hint, but it's not something that's widely known uh, and it's out there. But this is the type of experiments that we enjoy doing. And what then we did to make sure that we keep it as clean as possible, we, we don't allow any external influences to come in to interact with the experiment. We try to keep it as clean as possible. So when Martin was getting positive responses to can you play me an A chord, it wasn't interacting with anybody else in the group, just him. So when he wasn't asking anything, the musical instrument stopped. And I said, well, let me go up to the upper peg and see if I can hear something coming through the white noise in case we're picking a radio station up by mistake. But the noise is so bizarre. It's not like any music that you've ever heard or an instrument that you'll ever hear currently. When I went up, I had a chest cam, a body cam on that was filming. And I said, when you hear the musical instrument coming through the lower restaurant, shout now. So they were shouting now and I'm recording and there's nothing up there at all. I could hear their voice coming through the phone from the loudspeaker and I can hear the white noise that was coming out of the static on the um, the locked off radio, the old radio, um, but nothing, no musical instrument at all. And again, this is what I think is is very different about what you're doing, that, you know, you really are trying different things, but also making sure that what you're doing is, like you said, it's clean, it's authentic. It's the best that it can possibly be in terms of gathering that information so that, you know, you can really then look at it and, and start to unpick what you're finding. And again, it's not something you necessarily see happening all the time. And it, this is the type of exciting stuff that I think when you then look at examples like that, you're just like, that. that is truly incredible. And it's the kind of thing that I think if we could see being replicated in lots of different locations, the 
the body of research that we would have would just be incredible. And then that ability to talk those things through with other people who are like-minded, you know, what that could generate would be amazing. Before we head back to the podcast, if you haven't already visited the Haunted History Chronicles Patreon page, now is the perfect time to join to listen and enjoy a multitude of additional podcasts, merchandise, mail and other written materials. It's a great way to support the podcast continue to grow and put out additional content, share guests and their stories, as well as helping the podcast continue to be enjoyed. You should be able to see goals the podcast is working towards to help see how your support contributes to this. And with different tiers, you can help for as little as you like and as long as you like. For the month of February, there are going to be daily paranormal podcasts available to enjoy on most tiers, and signing up now will gain you access to these as well as all previous archived content. You can find the link in the episode description notes, as well as on the Haunted History Chronicles website. And remember, you can always help support guests in the podcast by coming and liking the social media pages and chatting over there. It's truly all very much appreciated. And now, let's head back to the podcast. Corinne and I just did a talk um, on an ASAP webinar last Thursday and unfortunately I couldn't get this, the um, bit of evidence off of the laptop. Um, I had some family stuff that came into my life which dictated that I didn't have time to get that off. I, I talked people through what happened but I've got it off now and I've sent it to a, um, a fellow investigator who's going to cut it for me because like I say my laptop's not playing properly. So we do have the evidence and we've got it very clearly showing me on the chess cam checking the other phone. So we're showing the things that we've put in place to ensure that there's no outside interference with anything. Yeah, and we do try as best as we can. And there's always going to be somebody at some point who'll say, well, that was interference from X, Y, Z. But how many times have you ever been on the phone to somebody and you've had a bizarre musical instrument playing out of nowhere. I can't say it's ever happened to me. <laughs> it's That's why I think it's really a truly interesting, phenomenal takeaway from that, because I, I can't think of any experience similar to that that I've had or anyone else has ever mentioned at no. all. It's very it, unique. It is. Um, we're going back in a few weeks' time, so... We're going to see if we can recreate it. And if it was interference on that particular night and somebody says, oh, you had a radio channel coming in, just to make sure we can recreate it. And if Martin asks out again and this musical instrument appears from nowhere, then that's got to be an intelligent response. And again, I think this is the, the kind of the beauty of being able to explore and go back to locations in the way that you are and other people do as well. When, you know, you have that kind of access, it does enable you to to try and replicate something and to see if the same thing happens again. Is this just is this something that you can start building up that that picture of and, and evidence of? Does it then tie into something else? Whereas, you know, if you're just going in on a one-off basis, it's then very difficult to make those connections in the way that you possibly can and should be, I think, if you're really trying to get to the heart of what's happening 
in a particular spot. Absolutely, definitely. During the months of December and January, we don't work with any events or, you know, go off and do stuff like that. We we have fun as a team and we book a couple of events, you know, that we go away for the weekend, so slightly further afield. So we have Jamaica in coming up in January and then we have Bravel's Castle, which is coming up in February. That's always another great spot. <laughs> Location. I've never been. We got three nights there, so um, I'm going to take some uh, thermal underwear. I think because I've been told it's incredibly cold. Um, with it being a castle, then um, yes, I'm imagining that the old prickle windows aren't going to be quite as um, windproof. Thermals, I think, are a good a good bet on that one. Yeah. So, so in terms of you know, you kind of talked through one kind of thing that you've been doing there at the Jamaica Inn and you've mentioned how you know you really do try and and research specific things and, and you know I'm trying to tread carefully because obviously there are places that you really can't share about at the moment because you're knee deep in that kind of that research but in terms of things from the past maybe across the Somerset area is there anything that have that has come out of maybe some of the research that you've you've done that you've been really like you know enjoying that you found really interesting that threw up some things that really surprised you as part of that work yeah um dillington house it's a private um house that's owned by a gentleman currently and he rents it to somerset council and they use it for training and for doing short courses and adult education so when i started doing the research um i found that there was a suicide of the butler back in the 1800s. And for me, it surprised me, but Corinne Besant, who's into her history and research, has assured me that in the day, they used to do the inquest the very same day they found the body and it was all done and dusted and dealt with all within hours of finding the body. But they said that this butler had um, killed himself, taken his own life, and it was to do with being sad about a love tryst that he'd had or a romantic relationship that had not gone according to plan. So when we were looking around the property, not all of the team know the names and the history. I give them a sheet for them to appraise themselves on the research I've done and they can use it during the event to look and check names. But they weren't given this sheet at this point. I had the sheet with me to check when we went from room to room when I was showing them around. And one of them said, why am I getting a name coming through? And I said, well, that was the butler, but the butler shouldn't be up here in the attic. He he wouldn't have been up here in the attic. That's not where his quarters would have been. A butler's own quarters would have been quite near the kitchen so that staff knew where he was. If not next to the kitchen, he'd have his own quarters. Then he would be in a building attached behind the back of the kitchen generally in history. So to have some connection to um, William the butler, we weren't sure what he was doing in the attic. So we have questioned during investigations, did you take your own life up here in the attic? And this is where it's headed, that that's what he's done from EVPs that we've got come through, that it, it's a possibility that that's what had happened, that that's where he went, away from where he would have been found quickly to where it, he could have been hidden away from view for quite a while. So that was a surprise and Dillington staff who, even the ones who knew about the history of the place and the family connections all the way back through, they knew nothing about the suicide. And I think this is this is kind of 
also the other beautiful side of kind of exploring the paranormal is that you really can uncover some incredible stories and and try to see and follow them through and just unearth people from the past and not forget them you know i don't think we should we should let go of things from from our past we we should know these stories we should know about these locations we should we should know about the history and I, and i think the two really do lend itself very well they they sit side by side in my opinion and can really add something to each field um and so I, I love that that's something that you know you really explore as part of what you're doing too i mean it really does kind of sit very well within how i think and what i think it should it should be like also so it's great when you can uncover little gems like that. I, I would like to get hold of the inquest paperwork um i'm going to try and get hold of um taunton county i think it's in taunton castle area that they hold all of the old court registers and things and see if we can get a bit more information because the newspaper articles and the archives that I've managed to find this, um, it doesn't give you as much as I'd like to know. So that's my next step. After Christmas, I'm gonna go to um, see if I can locate something within um, the, the registry of the history um, that's kept on file. That would be incredible that those are the kind of moments when you you have the hair standing on the back of your neck you know when you when you can make connections and if you have a breakthrough like that so it will be incredible if you manage to uncover something to sit alongside things that you've encountered as part of that paranormal research that'd be amazing yeah. i mean i'm still not 100 percent convinced that um the gentleman did take his own life because even though people did kill themselves in the manner which he, it was alleged that he did which is um slitting his throat i would like to know what the inquest says you know and the autopsy results and um, was it from the left hand side of his neck to the midpoint um and being an ex-police officer i kind of like have that interest to know was it really a suicide or did somebody um help him on his way was he did he you know get involved in something that he shouldn't have done so my mind is looking into this um in a slightly different way as well investigating because in the newspaper articles it said that he was an incredibly nice man of gentle disposition kind of thing um and was greatly liked by his employers so what would be the reason for him to take his own life if he was as happy and content in his job as the papers you know led you to believe so i i'd like to know more it's the mystery, isn't it? And and again, I think that's where if you can uncover things like that or interrogate and, and start to prove things or disprove things or just ask more questions sometimes, not throw an idea out, but, you know, keep pursuing and keep going. You know, it just helps, I think, to either solidify something or discredit something, but also stop this thing which can happen, which is lots of misinformation. and information being put out that is so easily accessible that just continues to purport something when it's not actually fact um so when someone really does take that time to delve into that kind of detail it's fantastic then that may like i said that some of these things might start to be uncovered and, and shared with people who follow those same kinds of interests absolutely i mean this place is a little gem this dillington house um and it's just starting to open itself up we've had three investigations there 
One of the best um, EVPs we've got is Karen, one of our team members, was in room one. And apologies to anybody who's got a romantic weekend booked here. But if you do, you're going to probably have a maid that will want to turn your bed down, light your fire and draw your curtains for you. Because we've caught this beautiful, deep Somerset accent saying, I've drawn the curtains for you, sir. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I know. And it's not just like a, you know, in some places you get like a guttural growl that goes, Ugh, and you go, oh my God, where's the exit? Quick. But this was a beautiful, homely Somerset, pure Somerset accent. Um, and it was just lovely to hear it. And she wanted to continue to do the work that she did for you know her her boss when she was there whether it was an interactive spirit or whether it was residual um we don't know because um, we have had other things happen since in room one but i don't believe that this was an interaction with us um it was just a voice that came out that said i've drawn the curtains for you sir so i think she was going about her daily routine and those are the really, again, those are just those really magical moments when you capture something like that really clearly with something like that accent that comes through so purely. And you just think, yes, that's they, those are the moments that you wait for, aren't they? You know, the, the special things that come along every so often that just keep you going, really, because... It, it's why we are so passionate about this this field it's the exploration of this unknown and, and what's it makes sense happening. if you get that pure accent that comes through it makes sense because back in the days the servants would have been local girls or they would have been sent from you know a few villages away to go and live in the house if it was too far to travel they would live in the house so they would at that level of um, working class then they would have had the accent it wouldn't have been bred like it would be for the rich people who would have owned the houses for them to have a very British accent, um, you know, home counties kind of thing. So they would have come with this lovely local accent. If it was Scottish, you kind of go, well, okay, somebody's obviously, you know, come down a long way. Maybe they visited the family because obviously you had people visiting big manors like this all the time. But a local Somerset accent saying, I've drawn the curtains for you, sir, fits perfectly into the location, the history, the heritage, everything that, that sits within this beautiful building. It just fits perfectly. So in terms of how you go into a property to investigate, what kinds of things would you say are the really important things to try and do when setting up and, and starting this investigation? What should other investigators really try and be mindful of when it, when it comes to using equipment or how to approach starting that research? Would you give them any tips? Um, learn your equipment. There's no point in buying a bit of gadget and then going, how do I use it? Because there's no point in having it if you're not gonna be aware what it does, what it's capable of doing and the flaws that come with it. Guys, don't waste your money on K2s unless you like shiny gadgets that flash because really they will go off if your phone is on, you know, you can have Wi-Fi that would affect it. You can have a Wi-Fi hub in a hotel that would affect your K2. You can have faulty wiring that can affect it. Um, even walkie-talkies affect it. So I would really not bother with any of this equipment till you've got the experience under your belt. Buy yourself a good torch, 
buy yourself a really good dictaphone. Take a notepad and a pen and sit and listen and ask questions and just keep asking questions. Ask random ones because the random ones shows that you're not just picking up words that, you know, may be coming through everyday kind of words like hello. If you go random and say, what's your favorite color? And you get the word purple back like we did in Shire Hall in Dorchester, you know that you've got somebody who wants to talk to you because they're giving you a very random reply. And also in Shire Hall, we asked what their favorite animal was. And I think it came back zebra or something or giraffe. Which you would never. <laughs> how, how likely would you have that coming through on any piece of equipment unless it's in response to something? I mean, it's not something... And especially in a courtroom. No, so it doesn't, doesn't drop into normal conversation, really, does it? No, in a courtroom, you, you'd expect to get, um, you know, words like hanged or death penalty or take them down. You know, anything to do with criminal offences being um, dealt with within a courtroom. You may also get cheering and kids running around um, because the court back in those days of the assizes was used as entertainment and mothers would take their children to the court sessions and they would sit for entertainment purposes and watch what was going on. So kids running and laughing is not unheard of. We picked a lot of that up in Shire Hall in Dorchester. But just ask random questions. Have your history before you go. So you know the name of the judges that might be there, for example, if you go to Shire Hall. Um, there is posters around in the cells so that you do have some information of real people who had real cases and were sentenced to death or, um, you know, were dealt with during those times. So you have an opportunity to pick names without having the research there in Shire Hall. But other places, it's just a good idea to make sure that you've got something. Don't go blind because you don't know what's going to be coming through and you can't verify it. It can't be quantified. Therefore, it's just words at the end of the day until you've done that history and that research. I think you kind of say something very relevant that I think all too often gets overlooked actually, which is investigators themselves are a really powerful tool and we can have all of these different gadgets, but if we're not listening, if we're not observing, if we're not really present in that moment and experiencing what's happening around us, that actually we can miss things too. And so sometimes having just a few pieces of equipment like you mentioned just having a torch and a really good way of recording what's happening around you through audio that's all you need sometimes you don't necessarily have to spend and part with lots and lots of amounts of money for these different bits of equipment that maybe you don't necessarily know how to use that can be just as problematic sometimes in using them sometimes just you taking that time to sit, to listen, to ask questions and to observe what's happening is the starting point. And, I, and as I said, I think sometimes we overlook that. We overlook our experiences and what we can do in that environment rather than all the equipment that we can bring in as part of that process. It, absolutely. And it, it kind of filters it and you start paying more attention to why your K2 is going off if you're at that level. And then you start inventing things like, oh, my gosh, the K2 is going off. Therefore, there must be a spirit here. Um, no, John's just put his phone on because his wife's just phoned him. So, you know, but if they don't know what interacts 
like um, even taxi firms, if you've got a taxi cab outside the property and they're using their radio, that can set off K2s and REM pods, you know, all this kind of equipment that um, is available out there. It's good fun to play with. It's good fun in the beginning, but the further in your your journey that you go within the paranormal investigator's role, you leave that stuff behind. Um, the only time you would use it, and apologies for saying this, is if you have events for members of the public because they love shiny things, shiny, 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 and bright lights. They want it all. They want to be immersed fully in that experience that they see on TV. So. Yes, we do own some of the equipment and we say to them, don't put much, you know, onus into that equipment because it can go wrong and things can make it go off. So we explain this, but they're still in. They're 100% in and they like it when it goes flash. So, um, but, you know, guys, the further in your journey you go, the less equipment you buy. I, I've bought my latest piece of equipment. It's called an Eddy and it's an environmental um, detection instrument and this is because during my research and education um, with things that I do I've noticed that with paranormal happenings you tend to get like pressure drops and you get atmospheric changes so I specifically bought this tool because it's a multi-tool you have a temperature in it you've got a vibration and it's it's incredibly good bit of kit um, and it's also got um, your atmospheric there's two different types of atmospheric um readings that it can give you and you can record it and if you if you've got something like a chest cam on and you say right i'm recording this from nine o'clock at night you can then relate that to things that happen that you might capture on camera and it will give you the readings to show well there was a pressure drop there you know and it will let you see things so you can maybe look more on a scientific research um, and you can then start correlating activity that happens and temperature might change and pressure might change. So you start to build your knowledge base. Um, the only other thing that I would say, apart from an eddy that I use regularly, trail cams. Now, you can pick them up for 60, 70 pounds. They're the ones that you would use outside to capture animals and wildlife you can set them up so that they go on for a minute with a noise or a movement and then go off for 30 seconds and then come back on again. Now I've just put those on a, a cheap tripod that you can buy from Amazon and I carry it around from room to room. Um, we do have top of the range equipment as well but if you're somewhere without electric these are just brilliant and the captures that we've got are pretty good. Um, you can just take the um, the card, the SD card out pop it straight into your um, laptop and it's done and it's got one minute chunks already. So you don't have to start cutting all of your um, recordings down. It's there. It's in, you know, beautiful sound that it's, it can give you. Um, and I've got some incredible captures from that, including a lady singing at me in the Jamaica Inn that nobody heard at the time. Again, amazing. I tell you something, the Jamaica Inn really does have some incredible evidence and, and things that it throws out. I mean, it never seems to disappoint. Um, Corinne seems to think that we're gifted in our team and they do like to find us. Um, Room 10 never had any paranormal happenings that people recorded and said that they had in Room 10. So I asked for Room 10 because 
I tend to be bombarded quite a lot in an investigation. It's very tiring for me being the lead investigator. The team look to me to keep it going and to think of new things to do and invent new, you know, investigations and experiments. And it's tiring. And I don't want to go and sleep in a room that I'm going to have Captain Jack Sparrow come and sit on my bed and start singing at me. So um, we went into room 10 thinking we're going to have a lovely night. No. So what happened was we were having footsteps and shuffling in the bedroom and a dragging noise. And it's like, oh, please, no, not in room 10. And Corinne said, it's just because it's you. They, they're not content. They've got more they want to tell you and they've come to find you. And it's like, oh. You just want to sleep. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to sleep after it because it's quite exhausting putting so much effort into trying to get all these experiments and things yeah it takes it takes it out of you because you really do have to concentrate and i think if you really are present in the way that i think you you need to be it it is consuming you know it does take it does take a lot of energy to kind of keep that up for extended periods of time um so yeah you do need that kind of 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 downtime too so <laughs> when you can't sleep that's always a problem mm -hmm. So, Michelle, you've asked me about, you know, my really good experiences. What's your best paranormal experience that you've had? Oh, gosh, this is like trying to ask someone what's their favourite meal or, <laughs> you know, when you, cook, when you just think, oh, gosh, it could be this or it could be that or it could be this. I think if I was to strip back every experience that I've had in exploring castles and pubs and various other places across the UK, never been abroad yet which is a shame to explore somewhere I come back to what got me interested in the first place which was something I've spoken about on the podcast before I spent time growing up in a pub my parents were the landlord and the landlady and it was this beautiful quite you know quaint old village pub you know thatched roof loads of chimneys flagstone floors just a really homely community village pub and the bedroom that I used to sleep in when I was growing up, I would regularly have this feeling of someone stood by the bed and seeing something stood by the side of my bed. And it used to happen really routinely. And at first it was something that would terrify me to the point where I you know, would literally be frozen still in bed and I wouldn't be able to move. And coupled alongside this, my sister who was much older than me, had the bedroom next door she would hear crying and she would be walking across the entire kind of landing above the the pub itself which was multiple different layers trying to figure out where this crying sound was coming from and could never work out where it was where it was from she would think it was me crying in the bedroom because that was where it appeared to be coming from but she'd open the door and would just be me and so we would have these things happen kind of at the same time the entire time that we were there mm. and it was just it's one of those experiences because it was something a bit like your you know your accounts growing up mm -hmm. in your property you know it just stays with you it 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 just doesn't leave you you remember it all of the time and so for me that i think is one of the most profound you know having these very clear auditory sounds of somebody crying yes yeah. seeing and feeling someone you know, by my bed, stood at the bottom of my bed, is, like I said, just something I've never shaken. Your mind's not very developed when you're younger and you're still growing and learning 
and there are things that you don't understand as well as your times tables you know when they come along you don't even know how to put it into words when you're very young so i think having that unanswered thing and your parents would always say oh don't be so stupid there's no such thing as ghosts or don't let people hear you talking about that they'll lock you up because they'll think you're mad so you hear all this comments coming from your parents and you trust them because they're your parents they're there to look after you and to make sure that nothing bad happens to you so you listen and you don't talk to people about it but then that question remains unanswered so at some point our inquiring minds kick in and they've matured enough to say that wasn't right you need to go and find answers and i don't know if i'm ever really going to find the answers because you know are we ever going to have a reason why we have these experiences learned societies say that the mind is a, a a big tool that um it's untapped and is it psychokinesis that's um creating some of the paranormal experiences that we have you know i do believe in some poltergeist activities yes that can happen but like you and your sister and me and my entire team in jamaica in where multiple of you are experiencing the same thing at the same time one mind can do something but how can everybody's mind all tap in and have the same experience at the same time i don't know absolutely and that's where like you said it just keeps you on this path of asking questions and like you said you don't necessarily get the answers but i think that's what this field is i think the more you research the more you get into it the more questions you actually come away with and i for me i think that's partly also why i keep going because I think I have one of those minds, you know, I'm in education. I like learning. I like asking questions. I like evolving my thinking. Mm. And I think this is this is such a big field of so many different questions. And, I, and again, I come back to what I something I said earlier. I think it's also why communication discourse is so valuable, because networking, I think, enables us to keep asking questions and theorizing and putting things out there and seeing what other people think Definitely. You know, that's that's not a bad thing i don't think i've met some lovely connections in the paranormal world corinne and i have known each other probably back uh, about i'd say seven years ago um just after my husband passed away i started to um be involved with the group before you know this one with with me now and it was this was the group that i started off with and then i went to join another group then we all half of us came back to my original group um so it's kind of like gone backwards and forwards but with corinne we went out and we used to do um some places together and i think it would be sh um sharing the costs so we had a little bit of a gap um of not seeing each other for a while because our path just didn't connect down that same route for a little while but we've got back in contact through asap again when you know i was running the webinars and Corinne had come in and she was doing a talk for us and it's just like oh my gosh you know let's pick up where we left off and she is such a mine of information um, and she loves to help and she's got all these good things that she can point you in the direction of if you're unsure and she says she's learned from me as well so obviously this is cross filtering so if you are lucky enough in your paranormal journey to meet somebody who's willing to bring you in and 
share their experiences with you take them take it seriously take them up on it and you know it's definitely going to open doors for your education and your journey and again i come back to kind of how we started this this chat this is where something like asap may help you find other like-minded people that you do connect with but also give you that opportunity to network to discuss and and kind of take it from there i think sometimes we can get stuck in isolation and really when you can make those connections it really can help you to keep going and to kind of explore new things try something different you've never thought about doing before as part of your investigation you know someone else will have a different approach that you can look at and think huh is that something I can incorporate in terms of what I'm doing and what I'm trying and again it's that networking and when you when you can make those connections with somebody it only I think enriches what you're doing within the field and maybe what you're going to try and you know experiences that you have and again that's not a bad thing definitely we've got um a wealth of experience and um personal characters within our our little group in somerset i say little the seven of us so myself and john are both ex-police officers um i'm currently a sports therapist when i left the police um i went down re-educating myself to do horse and human sports therapy john now has left the police and he he works for the council so obviously we've got an inquiring mind rich in questions and also procedure so we're kind of like the the two that are focused on having a lot of um procedures that we would go well let's do it this way to make sure that we repeat this experiment exactly the same that's john and i with with our history um martin my partner he's a clinical hypnotherapist psychotherapist which does come in useful sometimes when we've got private cases. Um, he can look at people's um, readings. He's got a galvanic um, response reader, so he can tell if people are stressed or they're giving um, incorrect information and stuff. So in some high-end cases, this has been used. Um, and also he can analyze people to see if they're going through psychosis and stuff. Um, from some of the questions and answers that he asks. So that's pretty interesting stuff. Um, we've got Karen and Mike. They're both, um, they they have jobs that they they work for. One's a building company and one's um, a fuel company. So they're into communicating with members of the public quite a lot. We um, then have a lady we've just taken on recently called um, Tanith. Now, Tanith also works for HD Paranormal. Um, Jane, she's just started to work for her this month, I think. So Tanith comes in and she helps us out with events that we might run. But she's also now starting to be involved with the cases that we deal with. And she's self-employed. Um, she used to work for an accountant. And then we've also taken another lady on who was a regular coming with um, Donna. So Donna has she's one of the founding members of the first group that I joined. Um, so Donna's and me are the only original ones that's left now. And she's a, a care auxiliary assistant in a hospital. So a bit like a nurse, I'm guessing. And um, Donna used to bring Becca with her on all the investigations for lifts. So Becca started to um, be a regular and she was what we would call extended family. And she was just helping out and doing a lot for us. And I just said to her, well, why don't we take the time to bring you up to full speed and to train you if that's what you're interested in? 
So she's joined a few weeks ago. So um, that's the team as it stands. And sometimes that nice rounded team really can be very beneficial when you don't have everybody from the same walk of life. You bring something different, I think. And again, that just enriches the experience and and the discussion and, and, and everything else, really. Yeah, um, Becca's a, a full-time nurse as well. She's a district nurse. So we know that if anybody needs any medical attention now, we've got Becca as well. So we do have a wealth of experience. But um, what's better than anything else is that we are incredibly well gelled. And I don't know if that is what makes us get extra activity that you know that some people say well gosh your team gets so much stuff and yet never used to happen before it used to be hit and miss but I think it's the team that you have together um, the way that you gel the way that you interact interface you've got the same mindsets on how you set up experiments you've all you know got it down to a pat that you set the cameras up a certain way um, and it, it's brilliant because we work so well together. If I say, you know, Becca, can you go and do this? Or Donna, can you can you go and set that up? They know exactly what they're doing. And because of that, it gives us more time later because of getting all, all that down to a T that we can sit and concentrate. But we do have a really good friendship is that responsible for how well we get the investigations to turn out? I don't know. Um, Corinne pointed this out to us because she's a people watcher. And she said that, you know, she watched us and the team interacts brilliantly together. Um, and, and I do think at the moment we've got an incredibly strong team. I think there's something in energy as well. And when you have people very energetic coming together and collaborating like that where it's seamless and when you're just getting on I do think that lifts something in the room and maybe it's that that resonates that helps things come through you know that energy that you're giving off being reciprocated in what's coming through I don't know but I know it certainly echoes experiences I've people are more relaxed I think where we're so good and we're so gelled together now whereas previously in the last group um, one of the girls who classed herself as one of the lead investigators, she would be outside smoking on the phone, mucking around, and it would just be draining and it would break the um, the energy that you've got in you to try to correctly run an investigation. So um, we were finding that we weren't really getting the results that we wanted. Um, we were both on different um, pathways so one, you know, she'd want to go out and smoke and play Ouija boards and we would want to um, conduct a proper researched investigation. So I think um, finding like-minded people and being at that point in, in your life where if it's not gelling, don't be frightened to, you know, say, can we make some changes? Can we go down this direction? And if the team that you're with really are not gelled and not headed in the same direction you know head off on your own and find those like-minded people i mean john's an hour away from where we are he's in exmouth and tanith's another 45 minutes up towards bridgewater luckily enough karen and mike are our next door neighbors so they get the majority of hassles from us by a knock on the door do you want to go to a private case so um but you know we come from all walks of life we're not close, but when you find people that you have that connection with, it's worth taking that that judgment and 
taking it further. Absolutely. Honestly, talking with you this evening has been absolutely phenomenal. And I will make sure that we get all of your details so that we can help share that with people listening to the podcast so that they can come and find ASAP. They can maybe come and find your group and really kind of maybe find some other networks and some other avenues to explore as part of their journey and and help them along their way. Always available if anybody has any questions and they'd like to contact me via the group that's not a problem at all any questions happy to help. Honestly thank you so much for your time tonight it's been incredible and you will have to come back again anytime you want to come and chat about anything anything you want to share just let me know and you're always welcome. That's very kind of you thank you very much for inviting me Michelle. I'll say goodbye to everyone. Bye, everyone.